Well, it's great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I always love to come and, and be a Grace Life. I get to see some familiar faces as well as some, some new faces as well. Um, this is, I don't know how many times I've, I've been here um, four, I don't know, four or five times now, and it's always such a great experience. So thank, thank you, Joe and Diane and everybody, Mark, for, for just your warm welcome and worship guys. Y'all did a great job, and I think set up the message this morning really well. Um, let me take you back a couple of weeks. So I had this situation. It was a mess and a stress of my own making. Uh, a little over two months ago, I was declared the legal guardian for my mom. So my mom is, has been in a nursing home, basically um, incapacitated and bedridden since 2002 when she had a heart attack and was like in and out of a coma and had uh, mental and physical impairment that happened out of that. So for like 18 years, that's been our reality. And then my grandmother passed away who was previously her guardian and now I've been declared her guardian. So that was a little over two months ago. Well, about two weeks ago on Friday, I got a voicemail at seven o'clock from my attorney that said, there's two important documents pertaining to your guardianship of your mother that have to be turned in the following Monday. And I didn't, I didn't know what these documents entailed what they were going to ask me for. In fact, in fact, at seven o'clock on Friday, I had no idea where those documents were, even though he had sent them to me some 60 days earlier. So even once I found the documents, I really, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I had no choice but to just kind of wait until, the, until Monday came so that I could call the attorney and see if I could possibly get these things filled out in time and get them turned into the court on time. From my observation, I would say not a very good first effort for a legal guardian. Not only that though, what was happening in my heart at that time was I kind of went into this downward spiral of anger and anxiety, right? Because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know, you know, I just didn't know the possible outcomes and I was so angry at myself because this is my own, it's my own fault, right? Um, there's nobody else to blame but myself for not having done what I ought to have done. And so my heart just immediately, you know, just goes into this, all the negative thinking that comes into your mind, you know. Uh, if you were a better son, you would, have, you would have already taken care of this. If you were more responsible, you would, have, you would have paid better attention and you would have taken care of these documents and, and you know, all of the baggage from 18 years of, of just the awkwardness of, of everything. And then, oh, by the way, my family's here in the back. Oh, by the way, we just had our seventh child like a couple of weeks prior to that. And parenting is its own trial of every day, especially when there's seven of them. Did I mention there's seven of them? Finding out every day that you don't have the energy, the ability, the capacity to be everything for them that they need you to be all day long, 24-7, and there's, by the way, seven of them. So I'm in it. So, you know, 7 o'clock is when I get the voicemail. Like 7.01, I'm like fully into this, right? And it just happens that quickly and I'm into that anxiety and anger. So what was happening in that situation? What was happening is that my idol, one of the idols at least, one of the idols of my heart was being revealed. My, one of my idols is self-reliance. I really do believe that I'm smart enough and competent enough to just manage my life and make things okay, right? That's something that I really deeply tell myself that I believe. But what was happening in that moment was reality was breaking through. That I am not competent enough. You know, no matter how competent I am at managing uh, the paperwork, it's not going to fix what's happened over the last 18 years. 
And so I was feeling the weight of all that, feeling the emptiness, not only the emptiness uh, of my idols. So there's a passage in Jeremiah where God says to his people, you've committed two wrongs. You've forsaken me and you've dug for yourself broken cisterns. Meaning God says, I'm the fountain of living water, but rather than drinking from my fountain of life, you go out and you dig broken cisterns. And it's not only that they're empty, like there's no water in them, but they're broken so that any water that gets poured into them immediately drains out. And so what was happening for me was the emptiness as well as the brokenness of that idol of self, of self-reliance, was, was literally sucking the life out of me. Because it wasn't just empty, it was broken me. Broken. Now maybe you have different struggles. Maybe you can't relate to that exact scenario. But I, I would guess that you have some kind of struggle in your life. And if, you're any, if you have any kind of spiritual awareness, you know that there's something or someone that you turn to almost instinctively to be your source of life or comfort or peace. It's that thing or that person that, that if you imagine that that person or that thing were gone, you would be absolutely devastated. But as long as you have them, then it's okay. That's the idol of your heart. That's the broken cistern. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've actually faced a struggle where the emptiness and brokenness of that idol has been shown. What I want to talk with you this morning about is how do you turn from that? When you see that, when you see that that's what your heart is doing, setting your ultimate hopes on something that cannot fulfill them, but actually not only can't fulfill them, but sucks the life out of you. How do you turn from that and cling to Jesus, who calls himself the bread of life? who promises in John chapter 7 that whoever believes in him out of his heart would flow rivers of living water. How do you do that? How do you let go of idolatry and broken cisterns and cling and dwell and abide and draw life from the fountain of living water? So that's what we're going to do this morning as we talk about Galatians 2 verse 20. How do you draw water from God, the fountain of living waters? How do you do what Paul says? The life I live I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the first thing, as I reflect on this passage, the first thing that stands out to me is what Paul says there. Uh, the life I live in the body. What is the life, when you hear Paul say that, what is the life that you picture? What's the life that you think he lives in the body that he lives by faith in the Son of God? Is it for me, it's basically that I'm going to manage everything, right? That, it, that it's going to be relatively smooth sailing. That's what I want. I just want some level of peace. It doesn't have to even be perfect peace. I just want a little less chaos in my life, a little bit more smooth sailing. Maybe for you, it's something more like success or maybe some big goal that you're seeking to face or maybe it's some relationship. What is the thing that, that would give you uh, what would be the good life for you as you picture it? And then hold that picture in your mind, whatever it is, and listen to this description by Paul of his own life. 2 Corinthians 2, 24 to 28. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, 
in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from all the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Tommy would probably say, it sounds like a church planner. But doesn't that sound like a pretty powerful expression? Earlier in Galatians 2, uh, Paul had said, I have been crucified with Christ, right? That's a pretty powerful expression of what it looks like to live a life that's been crucified with Christ. And, and what I'm trying to get at is the idea that when Paul says, the life I live in the flesh or the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, that is the life he's talking about. He's not talking about uh, the American dream. He's not talking about 2.5 kids and a dog and a car. He's, he's talking about a life laid down for Jesus' sake. And now I'm not suggesting that we all have to live exactly the life that Paul lives. Like you don't need your homework for today is not to go home and say, okay, how do I figure out how to get beaten with 39 lashes five times? Because if I did four, that wouldn't be enough. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is maybe part of our difficulty as we seek to find life in God is that the life I'm trying to live is not actually the life God has called me to. So I'm trying to design my own life, and then I'm going, hey, God, can you bless this? Can you give me life in this situation? And God's up there saying, that's not the life I called you to. That's not the life I promised to be the source of life in for you. Because if we remember, how does Jesus call his disciples to follow him? It's actually in every one of the four Gospels. When Jesus calls his followers, he says, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, and you guys know because you've been going through Mark, Mark says, whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will find true life. So maybe part of our problem, maybe, maybe part of our problem why it's hard for us to really draw life from God and feel uh, God's presence and power and comfort and peace and joy regardless of our circumstances, maybe one of the reasons is because the life we're trying to live is a life that we designed. We're trying to go our own way and then God get God to bless it. But what God has repeatedly told us at least four times in the New Testament is that to really find life in him, you have to lay down your vision for your life. Lay down your goals. Lay down your idols. Lay down your expectations. And only then can you find life in him? So this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going to, each of my illustrations are a little bit of a case study. I want to reflect on that opening illustration that I gave you of what was going on in my life, in my heart, and I want to, in each place, I want to try to walk it out. I want to try and apply it and show you how I was working through it for myself. And so to return back to my story of that, that anxiety and anger downward spiral, part of what is, was being blown up in that situation was my own expectations. Anytime there's the smallest thing that disrupts my peace, I'm, I'm liable to, to spin out into that anger or anxiety because I place such a high value on my own ability to just manage it and keep. I just expect my life to be relatively free from anxiety and pain and struggle. I just, you know, I just want it. I'm not saying I want to be I want to have the greatest life, God. I'm just saying I want to have just like even keel, you know, just like good, just like right in the middle part. I'm not asking for super high highs. I'm just saying I don't want super low lows. But what, but is that the life that God has called me to, right? And isn't it in the struggles and difficulties and 
the hardships of life where we really learn to lean on God and learn what it means to live by faith and learn what it means for him to say he is the fountain of living water. It's, it's irrational for me to think that my life is going to just be smooth sailing all the time. You know, it's, it's crazy to think that. Do you guys do this? I'm constantly telling, I verbalize it. I say this to my wife. Well, when we get done with this, or when we get on the other side of that project, or once we get through this month, or this week, or this thing, or that, then on the other side of it, then we'll be able to rest, right? You guys do that? <laughs> is, it, is, that is that ever true? Or is on the other side of the, whatever that you're facing, there's always something else on the other side of it, right? And so it's, one, it's just not the case. We live in a broken world, a, a world full of sinners like us, and it's just impossible that we're going to ever fully experience the life and rest that we're longing for until Jesus comes back. You know, it's as irrational as imagining that a home with seven children is just going to be quiet all the time. It's, it's what, they, what we say in the South, it's spitting in the wind. It's just, it's not going to happen. But more importantly than that, that it's not going to happen is the fact that it is actually in those exact moments where God wants to show us that he is the fountain of living waters. It's in those moments where we learn self-denial. It's in those moments where we learn to lay down our vision, lay down our goals, and take up our cross and find true life in him. So, one of the things I want to say to you this morning is if you're, you want to really tap into God, feel his presence and his power in your life, the one thing we have to do is turn. We have to turn from our idols and our broken cisterns and our false expectations. Turn from that and to, turn to God as our Lord, Savior, and our treasure, our source of life. And so there's a, there's a turning from, for me, there's a turning from self-reliance and a turning to God in trust, to tap into, to find, to experience that true spiritual life. Now, in order to do that, so, so once I recognize what I want to turn from, how do I, on an ongoing basis, stay abiding, as Jesus talks about it in the Gospel of John, how do I continue to abide in God? How do I continue to drink from the fountain of living water? And one of the things I think you have to learn how to do is to preach the gospel to yourself. I'm sure Pastor Tommy has talked about this from time to time, but I, I just want to take a few minutes and think about this. You have to learn to preach the gospel to yourself because Christ is the source of life for us in the gospel. It's through the gospel that God shows himself to be the fountain of living water. It's through the gospel, like in John chapter 6, where Jesus talks about himself as the bread of life, what he says is you have to come to him. You have to believe in him and feed on the bread of life and not be focused on what's going on in your life and the situation external, but really to cling on to him and find life in him. In him. So we have to learn how to access that, how to preach the gospel to ourselves. Now, when we say the word gospel, if, you, if your church is anything like our church, you use the word gospel a lot and, and hopefully you do a good job of consistently explaining what that means, because that can just become kind of Christian lingo. What the gospel is, is in the Bible, it's usually two things. One, the, the events of the gospel, the, that God the Son came into the world, lived a perfect life, uh, taught about the kingdom of God, died on the cross, was raised again, and ascended to his Father, and sent the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the events, like the happenings of the gospel, but it's also the effects of the gospel. The, uh, the idea that 
In those events, Jesus accomplished, purchased for us blessings. He purchased our forgiveness. He purchased our freedom. He gives us, through the gospel, uh, adoption into his family and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so it's both the events and the effects of the gospel. And what, notice, notice what Paul does here in Galatians 2.20. Notice how he says, the life I live by, in the flesh, I live by faith. Not just faith, like positive thinking faith, but faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What he's saying is the strength I find to live the life that I'm living, that one that we described from 2 Corinthians about being beaten and shipwrecked and adrift and in danger all the time and hungry and cold and anxious over the church, that life I live not by just saying tomorrow's going to be better, but by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, by tapping into the gospel, because that's one way you could describe the gospel, that the Son of God did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. And he did that because he loves us. And he gave himself for us. And Paul says earlier in Galatians that he gave himself, there we go, Galatians 1, 3, and 4, that he gave himself for our sins and to deliver us from this present evil age. And so to tap into the life that we have in God, we have to learn how to preach the gospel to ourselves, remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel, remind ourselves of what Jesus has done and what he's accomplished for us, remind ourselves that all of the blessings that we have in Christ are truly ours through faith in him. Romans 8, that God who did not withhold from us his own son, how much more than will he give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The process of preaching the gospel to yourself is trying to remind yourself and really spiritually take hold of these realities. And so really, really practically, how do you do that? How do you preach the gospel to yourself? I think there's basically two ways that you can do it. You can go, so to speak, from the gospel, from what you know about the gospel, and you can bring that down to your life, to your situation, to what you're facing, and meditate on that, and, and with God's help, go from the gospel and apply that in some way to your life. So as an example, talking about my struggle that, we were, that I was describing. Um, here's a couple of ways that I could preach the gospel to myself. Now, this isn't what I did actually in the moment. I'll just confess that. This isn't actually what I did in the moment, but this is what I ought to have done and what I could have done. So, a couple of verses that I thought of. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. God says that through Jesus, I've been adopted into his family and that... His spirit now lives in me. Uh, another verse I could have worked with maybe was um, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 and verse 20. Verse 16, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And verse 20, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or another one would be Hebrews 9, 14, where it says that through the blood of Jesus, God is purifying us that we might do good works for him. So those are all gospel truths. Now, how would I apply those gospel truths down to my heart? I'm trying not to get emotional here. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. I have been adopted into the family of God. For the last 18 years, my family, my parents, my mom, has, has, not, has not been able to be for me what I needed or wanted or hoped. But I have been adopted. God is my father. 
for all the failures in my own family and in my own experience, God is my Father, and He gives me His Spirit to testify to my spirit that I belong to Him. And I'm not an orphan, and neither are you if you're in Jesus. So I can go from the gospel down to my experience. Matthew 28, 16 and 20. I'm the legal guardian of my mom. Jesus Christ is the legal guardian of the heavens and the earth. And he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So even when you're in that mess that you made, it's your own fault, yes. Even when you're in that mess, I will never leave you or forsake you. And in fact, I'm going to bring my all authority and my all power into your life and into your situation and be for you the Lord and Savior. Uh, Hebrews 9, 14, I totally have bungled this situation uh, with my mom. Uh, I'm probably going to do it again uh, in, all, in all likelihood. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fail. I'm going to mess things up, but God isn't done with me yet. Because of what Jesus has done, he is purifying me, cleansing me, making me new. And so someday I'm going to be better than I am now. And God is still at work in my life and he's going to continue to use me. So do you see what I mean when I say that you can go from the gospel, the truth that you know about, from the scripture, the truth you know about the gospel and bring that down to your own life? We have to learn how to do that. That's what I mean when I say preaching the gospel to ourselves. You take hold of a truth and run, you know, run it around in your mind and whatever it looks like for you. I know everybody's different. Some people journal. Some people you know, just enjoy quiet. Some people actually, sometimes I even speak out loud things that I'm trying to take to heart in myself. So you can go from the gospel and you can work back down to your life. And one of the strengths of that is you don't have to I mean, you don't have to know very much to be able to do that, right? If you know one verse about Jesus, you can go from the gospel down to your experience and to your life. And if you will, will, will meditate on that and, and cling to that truth and ask for God's help in it, you will, you will, you'll feel your spirit lift because you'll begin to tap into that life that God promises to be for us. Now, the other way you can do it is when it's real obvious what you're struggling with, when it's real clear what your idol is, when it's really uh, clear how your false expectations have been blown up by life, you can also go from your need and find in the gospel an answer to every situation. So what's ha what happens when we make an idol, and I'm sure Tommy's talked with you about this before, but often what happens, if you dig down deep enough in our idolatry, in our tendency, when I say idolatry, I mean our tendency to look for life in persons and things other than God. If you look down deep enough in there, there's usually, it's usually not a wicked desire at the bottom of it. Usually it's some good desire, even some God-designed uh, desire that because of sin has become twisted. So maybe you've heard uh, the quote G.K. Chesterton used to say, that the, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. The deep down, underneath all of our sin, what we're looking for is God and God's ordained sources of life that he wants to give to us. And what's happened is that sin has twisted or broken those desires. And so what we want to do as we come from our need, and, and basically uh, Jack Miller, who's an old pastor, used to say, sometimes you have to reach up and take hold of the promises of God. What we're doing is saying, in our need, we have to reach out into the gospel by faith and, and take hold of what Jesus has done and really apply that into our heart. So how could you do that? Earlier, I identified my own self-reliance, right? 
I said, I'm, I, I just really, for some foolish reason, continue to believe that I am competent enough and smart enough to manage all the stuff in my life and basically make things okay. At least prevent things from going off the rails. That's a, that's a phrase I use a lot. You know, sometimes I joke and say, well, nobody died today, so that was a win, right? And there's seven of them, guys. How do I, having seen my self-reliance, how do I apply the gospel to that idolatry? One, I could go a lot of places. I mean, we're here, we've been here in Galatians this morning. We could go to a lot of places, places in Galatians because that's the whole point of the book, right? That, that you, you have a choice. You can either trust in yourself or you can trust in Jesus. There's, there's really no other option. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's either all him or all you. And that's your option. But for me, uh, a passage that's, that's really both challenged and encouraged me in this process is Ephesians 2, 8 and, eight and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. I really want to perform well enough to find peace. And I, I, don't, I don't mean, don't get this wrong, I, I don't mean that in any sort of holier-than-thou religious performance. I, I just mean basically keeping my life okay. I don't mean earning something before God. I know that I can't do that. I'm talking about a different type of self-reliance. And this really blows that up and encourages me at the same time because God is saying to me, no, it's by grace you have been saved. And that phrase, it is not your own doing. Because I desperately want peace, but what does the gospel say? That I have peace with God and with you and with my fellow man, not because of something I've done. I can never arrive at the peace that I'm longing for by my own efforts. But God gives it to me, gives it to you if you believe in him, by faith, it says. It's not your own doing. So whether I totally mess up, that's the clean way of saying it, whether I totally mess up this situation with what's going on with my, with my mom, he accepts me. Not only that, the gospel says not only that God accepts us, but that God pursued us. God didn't wait for us to go, hey, I really need saving. But actually, he came into our world, took on flesh, died the death we deserved, and was raised again to new life so that we could be reconciled to him. Long before, while we were still running from him as far and as fast as we could, he came into the world and accomplished salvation. And he draws us to himself. You know, my, so this is how deep self-reliance goes for me. Um, there's even a part of me that as I'm facing anxiety or facing my struggle and, and maybe that, that process of anger, there's even a part of me that goes, am I going to be able to keep on fighting? You know, am I going to have the energy for this tomorrow to keep fighting the good fight of faith? Am I going to have the energy tomorrow to keep putting my trust in Christ and finding life in him? And I mean, it's so reassuring to know it's by grace you have been saved. This process, even the process of preaching the gospel to yourself, doesn't depend on you, ultimately. Your Pastor Tommy talked about the lie of self-help last week. This isn't, preaching the gospel to yourself is not baptized self-help. It's recognizing that he is the source of life, and our only hope is to cling to him, and to lean into him, and to take hold of him in whatever, we, whatever way that we can. So, you have to preach the gospel to yourself. And you can go from the gospel down 
to your situation and you can go from your situation up to the gospel and find life in it. See, because the gospel is like a diamond. It's when you, if you were to hold a diamond or any kind of jewel in your hand, depending on how you hold it, how you move it, how you turn it in your hand and what angle you look at it for, the light will reflect and refract in that differently. And you see different aspects of it. And so what we want to do as we're preaching the gospel to ourselves is to see the gospel in its fullness so that we can draw life from it in all of its different aspects. You have to develop some level of gospel fluency. You can't just have one narrow view of what Jesus has accomplished in the gospel. We have to take into account all that he's done for us as the scriptures reveal. So we have to be in, in the word, right? We have to read our Bibles. We have to sit under gospel-centered preaching consistently. It, it would be great if you joined one of the home groups here at Grace Life where you could begin to develop that gospel fluency and understand all of the different facets and aspects of the gospel so that you, you have those uh, can I use the Disney, we watch Disney movies, can I use a Disney quotation so that you can paint with all the colors of the wind? Uh, that's Pocahontas. Uh, it's old school. With the gospel, we want to be able to tap into all the different aspects of the gospel so that we can apply them to our specific scenario and situation. There's a great uh, 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who said, in contemplating Christ is a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there's a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there's a, a balsam for every sore. What we're saying, what I'm saying about preaching the gospel to yourself and that idea of gospel fluency, fluency is seeing all the different balm, all the different medicine, all the different healing, all of the different accomplishment in the gospel and learning how to apply that, to take hold of that and apply that to your own heart and to your own life and to your own struggle. So we have to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. Turn from our idols, turn from our false expectations, turn from the life of our own design and our own making, and turn to God and take hold of his promises toward us in the gospel. And then really, really quickly, just a couple of quick final points. If you look again at Galatians 2 verse 20, look how Paul describes it. He says, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, when he says faith, does he mean ideas that he believes in? Or does he mean trust in a person? The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He's not saying I get all my doctrinal T's crossed and I's dotted and everything works out perfectly. He's saying I put my trust in a person, namely the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, I mean, just listen to that. If you just change that word to, to mean trust, because the Greek word can, mean, can also mean trust. It can also mean allegiance. But here it means trust. Uh, the life I live in the flesh, I live by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That puts a different ring on it, doesn't it? Than just the idea of belief in the sense of believing an idea that trust is relational, right? It's about the relationship that I have with Jesus and not just the things I believe about Jesus. When we preach the gospel to ourselves, we're saying, I'm trusting in the person, Jesus, and all he's done for me. 
You know, you probably, when you face a, a hardship or a struggle, you probably have somebody in your life that you turn to that you, would, you could say you put your trust in to be your help in that scenario. And preaching the gospel to yourself is just a spiritual reflection of that same dynamic, that you're putting your trust in Jesus relationally. And then we also have to say, I want to emphasize that word put. You have to put your trust in Jesus. Because it doesn't just happen automatically. You know, if you've been a follower of Jesus for, for any amount of time, you know what comes naturally to you is not to just continually be putting in your trust in Jesus, but to kind of backslide and fall back into old patterns where you trust in yourself or you trust in idols or you cling too heavily to earthly things. And so what you have to actually do is put your trust in him continually on an ongoing basis. I'm, I'm not saying that that if you're not doing that, you're going it, you're like, you're saved, you're unsaved, you're saved, you're unsaved, you're saved, you're unsaved. That's not what I'm saying. When you initially put your trust in Christ, you are justified before God. You are made new and you are secure in his presence. You have the assurance of salvation. What I'm saying is to tap into Jesus who says, I am the bread of life. How do you feed on the bread of life? You have to keep putting your trust in him. So when my family, when we go to the pool and my little five-year-old stands on the edge of the pool and I'm in the water and I say, jump to me, jump to me. I'll catch you, I'll catch you, I promise. She is not running through her mind her relative density versus the density of water and whether or not her body will float or whether or not she thinks her dad's biceps are strong enough to pick her up in the, in the pool. And they, they are, they're pretty good. What she is, what's going on in her mind and in her heart is, do I trust my dad? That's what I'm trying to get at. When you put your trust in Jesus, it's relational, but it's also intentional. You have to choose to keep putting your trust in him to let him be your source of life. So it's relational, but it's also intentional. You have to put your trust in Jesus. That Jack Miller quote that I said before, you have to reach out you know, spiritually, you have to reach out and take hold of, of the promises of God, the blessings that he offers you in the gospel. And then finally, it's not only relational, it's not only intentional, but it has to be habitual. And that's not the best word, but it's, it sounds pretty churchy, right? Uh, relational, intentional, habitual. I think it sounds pretty good. So we'll go with that. Habitual. It has to be an ongoing thing. You can't just do it one time and fix all your problems. Fix all your anxieties. Fix all your idolatries. It just doesn't work that way. You can't just do it once and expect everything to be perfectly fine from then on. You have to do it over and over and over again. You know, Paul, uh, the life I live in the flesh, I do by trusting in the Son of God. We look back on, on Galatians and, and we look at, G, uh, at Paul's life that he lived, like in the past tense, the whole of it, right? We see it as a completed, finished thing. But when he's writing Galatians, he's still in the midst of it all, right? He's still in the midst of laying his life down for Jesus. He's saying the life I live, I li the, the, the actual life that's ongoing. You know, he wrote Galatians and then on the next day he had to wake up. It's not like his work was done. He woke up the next day and had to live his life by faith in the Son of God. So it has to be an ongoing thing, an ongoing habitual thing. And, and it would be the wise thing to do if your life is going basically okay right now, to begin to build this habit now before the storm comes. Because the storm is coming. Something's going to happen in your life that comes out of nowhere, 
And if you're not in a place where you're trusting in God, you're going to despair and you're going to struggle. And all those false expectations, when they show themselves to be false, and all those idols, when they show themselves to not just be empty but broken, if you don't have that habit of finding life in God, you're going to be floundering in the waves. You know, just like when when a hurricane's on its way, right? When do you put the shutters on? Before the storm comes, right? And so you need to build this into your life, preaching the gospel to yourself, putting your trust in Christ in an ongoing way. But it needs to not only be habitual, like over time, like say over six months or over a year or over five years, but there's something about an ongoing putting of your trust in Christ, even in the moment. I know that sounds kind of weird. In a moment, you have to have an ongoing trust in Christ. Sometimes when something like this happens in my own life and I begin to feel that spin of anxiety or anger or whatever it might be in that, in that given situation, Sometimes I call to mind the gospel and it immediately helps me, right? You guys ever experienced that? You immediately call to mind some truth. God gives you some, some word that you treasured up in your heart. Something pops into your mind and it immediately helps you. But sometimes, no matter, it seems like no matter what you draw to mind, it just feels like it won't, your spirit won't lift. The heaviness won't lift. And you, you just feel like you're continually grasping for peace and joy in life. And, and what I want to say to you in, is in those moments, you have to keep fighting the fight of faith. You have to keep putting your trust in him. Even in those moments, you have to go, you have to have the habit in the moment of continually putting your trust in him. This is a struggle. This is a struggle for me. You know, I really... I really would prefer easy answers and magic bullets. I would really prefer to just be able to pull up Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and just go, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your doing, but is a gift of God lest anyone should boast. And have it just, you know, then I'm walking on air having a, the greatest time of my spiritual life. But, but that's not reality. I have, to cling, I have to lean into that. I have to cling to that. I have to work, run that over in my mind and in my heart and try to take it to heart. And the deepest way that I know how, with God's help, to really take it to heart and abide in him and draw life from him. And this is a hard thing to describe. Uh, I don't know that I can put the exact right words to it, but maybe, maybe this illustration will help. So over in Daytona at Christ Community, where at our church campus, my office is like on the far end of the building on the north side. And on the rare occasion, I know it's Florida, but on the rare occasion where it gets cold... My office will often not warm up for the entire day. So it might be like 40, 50 degrees. I know that's not that cold, guys. But it, it'll be cold, and in my office, it'll just be like an icebox in there. And it'll, it won't warm up the entire day. And I have a little space heater, uh, but sometimes you need more wattage than a little space heater. And I will literally go outside and just stand in the sun. And sometimes... When you stand in the sun, you immediately start to feel warm, right? But sometimes you've got to linger there. You have to stay there for a minute. You have to keep on letting the sun do its work and warm. You know, for me, it's like my hands usually. My hands seem to like thaw out and I, I can feel. And, and that's what I'm saying is there's something about abiding in God and putting our trust in God that in the moment, 
when I'm trying to apply the gospel to myself and, and it's not working as quick as I want it to, to not get up and go look for some distraction, but to press in and to, to linger there and let the warmth of the gospel warm your cold heart and bring light into your darkness. You have to keep on trusting in him. Find your way. And I, everybody's different. Like I said, for me, a, a lot of times this is like an internal conversation. You know, it's kind of self-speak. I'm, this is an internal conversation I'm having. But maybe you journal. How would you linger before the gospel? Let the, gospel, the warmth of the gospel warm your heart and let the light of the gospel shine into your heart. Maybe, maybe you might write out the verse and then write it in your own words. Maybe you might write out the verse and maybe even if you're not feeling what you know you ought to feel, maybe you might just write out what you know you ought to feel. Maybe for you, it's just pleading with God. Like the Pharisee said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But you have to find your way to put your trust in Christ and to keep on putting your trust in Christ, not just over time, but in that moment when it would be so much easier to just flip through Facebook again, when it would be so much easier to just go do something else and distract yourself from what's going on, linger there and let the gospel bring light and life. Linger there so that you might tap into God, the fountain of living water. Now, I guess I should tell you how the, how the situation worked out because otherwise you're going to have to come up and ask me. We did on, Monday, on that following Monday, we were able to get all the paperwork filled out, sorted out, turned into the attorney and turned into the court by that afternoon. But I know that when that phone rings again, when my phone rings again and I see the attorney on there, or when I see the nursing home where my mom stays on there again, sometimes, not every time, but sometimes, there's going to be just a little nick in the dam where those anxieties and struggle and all the baggage and all that stuff's going to come flooding back in. And I'm going to have to go back, put my trust in him, and lean back into him, and lay down the idol of self-reliance again. I know I'm going to do it imperfectly. I know I already do it imperfectly. And if you're fighting the fight of faith and you're seeking to preach the gospel to yourself and really put your trust in him and linger before him, you're going to do it imperfectly too. But it's by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen. Let's pray. Even before we pray, let me remind you that in the back there's going to be a team back there. If, you'd like, if you have questions about what the things I've been talking about, questions about the faith, or you just would like somebody to pray for you, talk with you about the truth of the gospel, uh, during the, the worship t uh, time, you can go back there, and there's going to be a team back there to pray for you. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you. Sometimes it feels strange to thank you for being who you are, but we do thank you for, for being the fountain of living water. You are the one from whom and through whom and for whom exist all things. For your praise and your glory, you made this world and you have redeemed this world and all of the, those who've turned to Christ in faith. We're so thankful for what he's done for us and all he accomplished and all that he offers for us. I pray that, that this message this morning would truly be helpful. I know it wasn't deeply theological, 
I know it wasn't the most amazing exposition, but God, I believe it was eminently practical for people who are trying to find our life in you, to fight the good fight of faith, and to feed on Jesus who calls himself the bread of life. God, I pray for every Christian who's here this morning that something that that I said would be helpful to them, that they might believe more deeply and begin to experience what it means when Jesus says that whoever believes in him out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. And Father, if there's any friends here who are not followers of King Jesus and don't know you as Lord, I pray that you would be softening their heart, that they would, would see a compelling vision for, for a life, a comfort, a peace, a joy that isn't crushed or dependent on circumstance, but that is, that is deep and abiding and beyond explanation. So God, would you move in the midst of your people for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.